0: Welcome to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York. And on this show, we tackle the issues that are dominating discussion in the city, state, and in national politics, the issues that matter to you, and today is no exception. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and I'm always joined by the cream in my coffee, the light that brightens my day, the stellar journalist, and always-on-the-ball co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, how are you today? Much improved by hearing those kind words, Jeff. Always a pleasure to be here with you. So obviously a lot has been on the news today, Celeste. Uh, Anything on your mind today before we get to some of the important topics? Yeah, I mean, I think that that
1: the topic we're going to talk about today is something that's been on my mind for quite a while. And knowing some people who are very serious about covering it, about tackling it, uh, that, of course, is the situation with our prisons, particularly Rikers Island. Uh, I think we should hop right to it because there is a lot to talk about here, Jeff. And the news just keeps adding up some
0: uh, late breaking news in about this. Right. Oh, it's just been unbelievable over the last two weeks how this has picked up speed. And it's been so interesting, even just going back to last Monday, not this previous one, but the one before when the team of legislators visited Rikers Island and came out feeling horrified. And we're going to be able to get to that with our first guest in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, just some of the bullet points, you know, uh, we love saying bullet points in journalism, of course. <laughs> uh, some of the bullet points, Celeste and I'll run through with you just some of these key things that have happened over the last two weeks. Celeste, I don't know if you want to start off that.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously we've, we've seen a spate of, and you know what, I just want to, before we start talking about this, I just want to preface this by saying, two things. Number one, uh, the situation at Rikers Island has really, really been exacerbated and centered by what's going on with the pandemic. And we had heard reports of people being ill-treated, neglected, uh, abused, uh, and, and worse at Rikers Island before, but I think during the pandemic, we have had to give some really serious thought to how uh, even people who may be uh, held on criminal charges, uh, who may be facing very Very serious ramifications for things that they did. And of course, this is after uh, one would hope, a fair trial. But you know, even people in that situation do have some fundamental basic rights. There is provision in our law and in our culture against cruel and unusual punishment. And I think this certainly falls into that category. And then before I hand it back to you, Jeff, you know what I would just say on a very personal note, I have been to Rikers Island. I have been inside Rikers Island as a reporter, not certainly as much as some of the people we're going to talk to today or some of the people who are, uh, you know, in the community faced with these issues uh, on on a number of different levels, uh, government, uh, social services, or what have you, or have been uh, incarcerated persons themselves. But, you know, from my very, very brief insight into what it is like being in that facility, the only word I can come up with is terrifying.
0: It was terrifying, Jeff. Yeah. And some of the things that have been happening before we get to our first guest, just this Wednesday... A man being held at the Vernon Baines Center, which is the floating, uh, bar, bar, I never say it right, barrage, barge, barge, uh, jail docked just north of Rikers, died after suffering a medical problem. That was the 12th person to die in custody this year. Earlier this week, Attorney General Tish James, accompanied by several of the district attorneys, visited Rikers, and Tish James said her office is investigating claims of suicide and unsafe conditions. Also, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and three other House Democrats, some of whom we've had on our show before, called for the instant release of all of Riker's 6,000 detainees due to increasingly dangerous conditions and what they called human rights violations.
1: Yeah, and that's something, obviously, we have a brand new governor, Governor Kathy Hochul, uh, took over pretty recently. Uh, you know, she has ordered the immediately, uh, the immediate release of 191 detainees. She also signed a law, uh, you know, that paves the way for more individuals to be freed. And these were people who had been incarcerated due to technical violations, parole violations, like missing a curfew, uh, consuming alcohol, being late for an appointment with a probation officer. You know, these are things that, uh, and people in jail or back in jail. Um, and I think you've pointed out, Jeff, you know, the city has also sued the Correction Officers Benevolent Association, COBA, arguing that, you know, staff absenteeism had created this crisis at Rikers and that it amounted to essentially like an illegal strike that had endangered both the staff and the detainees. Uh, and we have seen um, you know, an average of 645 of these kinds of absences per month in 2019, up to 733 in 2020. But this year, that went up to about 2300 of those absences per month on average. And that has been described as staggering.
0: What's so interesting, too, is the late development that just took place in the last 24 hours, they went to court, they went to Manhattan Supreme Court, and the city then dropped the suit after the attorney for COBA said that officers who are fit for duty should show up for work as required by law. Now, It's clear this is not over. There's still going to be staffing issues. Uh, The mayor has said he'd take 100 NYPD officers off the street, put them into the courts to replace correction officers who escort um, people who are incarcerated, excuse me. Two court appearances. This is something that one of our guests today, uh, has, uh, has reported on, but we're going to now get to our first guest because she was one of the elected officials who visited Rikers early last week who left horrified. And I'm talking about New York State Senator Jessica Ramos, who was among the contingent of electeds who visited. She's a very familiar voice here on WBAI because she has spent her life fighting for working families, advocating for labor and organizing her local community. Senator Ramos, thank you you so much for joining us here on WBAI Today.
2: Hi, how, how, how is everybody? I'm, I'm so happy to be back, especially to talk about such an important topic.
0: I, I have to say, I was following your tweets last week when you had emerged from Rikers. You had said, I don't know how any of us will sleep tonight knowing what goes on in Rikers. You were inside. Walk us through, walk Celeste than I through and our listeners, what you saw, what you experienced.
2: So I experienced, so I I visited specifically uh, what's known as OBCC, um, and that is only one of the sections where we hold people uh, uh, prior to uh, being tried. Uh, This is very important to remember about Rikers. Uh, Most people who are there have not been convicted of uh, the charges they're being accused of. Um, And then others have violated their parole more often than not, uh, non-violently. Maybe they checked in late, things like that. Um, And um, people are being remanded when they shouldn't be. And so uh, there's a lot of concern. You walk in, um, that part is uh, pretty much known as the intake area for Rikers Island. And uh, you see in in large holding cells uh, where 10 to 12, 14 men are sleeping, um, you know, body to body on the bare floor. They, you know, some have blankets, some have coats, others have nothing. Um, And uh, there's all sorts of stuff on the ground everywhere. Um, I mean, I I can't tell you how many dead roaches I saw. And, you know, men are, are forced to relieve themselves um, on the floor and even worse and also in, 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 plastic bags, uh, because there are so many non-functioning toilets there. Um, there is a complete lack of hygiene, um, uh, COVID, uh, patients, uh, who should be patients are next to non COVID, uh, you know, um, infected people. It's It's, heartbreaking to describe uh, every time I tell it, let me tell you. And then and then there's, you know, some serious uh, violations, I think, uh, that are happening uh, that, that are really unconstitutional. I mean, these folks are not being given a speedy trial. These folks are not uh, being allowed to contact their loved ones, um, are not being produced for video conferences with their attorneys. And worse, they're missing their court dates. Um, and, 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 and so... You know, we cannot, we cannot accept being complicit in that this has to change.
1: And Senator Ramos, and thank you for joining us here to talk about what you have seen and what you have heard. Um, I'm wondering, you've also spoken to uh, family members of people who are incarcerated there, and maybe they've given even more insight into, you know, what their relatives, their loved ones are going through. Have you, uh, you know, what's been your experience talking to those family members of people who have been at Rikers?
2: Hi, Celeste. Yeah, I, you know, when I learned that they weren't able to, to contact their loved ones, I, I started taking down phone numbers, you know, just so I can check in with their family members, let them know, you know, what I saw. Um, you know, they were very thankful since they hadn't heard from them in weeks. Um, and it, it, I think, hopefully urged some to maybe move a little faster to figure out how to bail them out. Uh, you know, had raised the money. I mean, we're talking about people who you know have come from very poor families, um, where you can see that we've we've lacked in reaching them with resources and support. Um, and and so, uh, you know, for a lot of these things, we we see Rikers as a way to keep us safe because it keeps. People who did wrong things secluded from us, potentially, because innocent until proven guilty. But really, they're going to be released at some point, and still their mental illness, um, sometimes even their physical illness, has gone untreated. And, you know, that does not make us any safer, um, and, and that's a realization that we need everybody to come to. You know, it's not, when we talk about closing Rikers and releasing them, it's not about releasing them into our streets. We, we need people to believe in, in funding the treatment that um, some of the most vulnerable members in our society need. And that's how we need to think about uh, the people on Rikers Island and in the mass uh, criminal, you know, the prison uh, industrial complex is we need to uh, build the appropriate facilities in order to tackle the issues that they are actually dealing with. Why are they hitting their spouses? Why are they, uh, you, you know, forced to steal? Uh, why, you know, these are things that, that, that we, we have to grow up about.
1: And if you're just joining us, we're speaking to New York State Senator Jessica Ramos. This is driving forces here on WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here as always with Jeff Simmons and Senator. Just to, just to follow up. This is sort of a, maybe an obvious question, but I still think it's a really important one. You know, who would you say bears the most responsibility or how is the responsibility parceled out for the situation at Rikers Island? It's not new. We've been hearing about it for years. People like you have been, you know, uh, raising an alarm and trying to bring attention to this for years. Who who can change this? Who's at fault and who can change it?
2: You know, the mayor is in charge of what happens on Rikers Island ultimately. And this is why I'm urging the mayor to please visit Rikers Island as urgently as possible, as soon as possible. We have a humanitarian crisis on our hands, and we cannot leave this issue, uh, you know, we can't allow this issue to continue uh, to go unaddressed. Um, It's the right thing to do, um, and we need district attorneys, and we need judges to also play their role in, in making sure that they're not setting bail, um, you know, too out of reach and judges allowing some folks uh, to actually pay their bail. Uh, right? There was a story a few uh, days, maybe, maybe like a week or so ago now, um, about a man who was, had not been allowed to pay his one dollar bail, and, and 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 this is this is wasting time and resources you know we as, if, for those who care about you know taxpayer dollars for for those who who that you know their approach to this we're spending half a million dollars per incarcerated person every year let me you know put that into perspective with our own salaries right i mean what is it that we're doing here what is our return on investment so
0: do you think we've reached a point uh, you know, well, I'm going back a few days, actually, to when our new governor, Kathy Hochul, had signed the Less is More Act into law, which is going to bring the uh, rapid release of nearly 200 people uh, or it's at some point. But I'm just curious, do you think we've reached a point where the state should take over Rikers?
2: Oh, I don't know about all of that. I mean, I think we're still applying pressure on the mayor to do the right thing, I- Certainly, the governor is aware of the crisis taking place in Rikers Island and, and, you know, is certainly, I'm sure, a conversation that's happening uh, in the executive uh, chamber as well. Um, And I'm really hoping that as more and more of my colleagues visit the jail, um, because remember, we can go at any time um, uh, uh, unannounced, actually. Um, I, I want everybody should everybody who can should see what's happening there, right? Cause we're not able to take pictures or video and, and, and it just, it needs to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm confident that we can do the right thing here. I, I, I believe in us, you know, we're, we're a generation where we are for whatever reason we were chosen to, to navigate these crises together. Um, so many of them. And, um, I mean, love's got to give, right?
0: You use the word confident, and that brings me to my next question. How much confidence do you have in our Democratic mayoral candidate, frontrunner Eric Adams, that he's going to remedy these problems?
2: Well, I, I, I think, you know, Eric Adams, uh, unfortunately, doesn't, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with us on every aspect of this issue. And he brings, of course, his own experience, having been a captain in the NYPD, um, and I, I, we're expecting uh, a much more robust police presence, right? And 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 um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, also, as a former union man himself, you know, in, in terms of law enforcement, how he will work with uh, COBA, which is the uh, union representing correction officers. People who are largely, you know, it's a workforce that's largely people of color and who um, are, are are being forced to work three shifts in a row. They deserve safe working conditions as well, especially as we transition out of the prison industrial complex. So I think that's really important to mention, too. And I'm hoping that he that he at the you know, at the very least, will will figure out um, that balance. Um, And I'm looking forward to working with him and, and also applying pressure if and when necessary.
1: And Senator Ramos, because we're trying to take a, a, a sort of complete look at this picture, just curious as to what you would say to or about um, either correction officers who have been uh, trying to raise an alarm about the conditions at Rikers Island for many years, or for people who are viewing this on the outside and saying, OK, this is not only a case, there are cases of of." people being abused but what would you say to people who say that look a lot of this problem is addressing or limiting or stopping violence between inmates that people do have to take some measure of personal responsibility uh for not injuring other people harming other people what do you say about that
2: well safe staffing is definitely going to address a lot of the immediate concerns having to do particularly with hygiene and, um, you know, making people available to escort those who are incarcerated to, you know, video conferences with their lawyers and court appearances, like I mentioned before. Um, but again, I, I mean, I don't want to shy away from, from from our path towards decarceration. I, I just want to make sure that the people who are there currently um, are, are able to to also – uh, have safe working conditions, and that's why I carry their bill to do away with triple shifts. I don't know if, if a lot of New Yorkers know our correction officers right now are calling out sick. Uh, you know, almost two thousand, almost two thousand correction officers call out sick every day. Um, it, it, that's a real, you know, a, a mini crisis in, in, in the bigger crisis, and um, that's not fair either. No, no one should have to work. 24 hours, uh, in a row. Um, so we have to end these triple shifts and we need to get correction officers back to work. But again, the number one thing that needs to happen is to reduce, uh, is to reduce the prison population. And this is, this is where the judge, those judges and, and, and district attorneys come in.
1: Uh, Senator Jessica Ramos, I wish we had more time to talk about this with you. I know you have a lot to say, and we appreciate you joining us here on Driving Forces. If people want to follow up, where can they find out more about you and about your work on this issue?
2: Well, I mean, we're on social media, of course. We're on Twitter. Um, it's it's just Jessica Ramos. And we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram. And, you know, we're going to continue doing a lot of more advocacy work here um, and, and, and make sure that we're doing the right thing. So follow along, and um, hopefully we're able to win this together.
1: New York State Senator Jessica Ramos, thank you so much for joining us here today on
0: WBAI to talk about this vital issue.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great afternoon.
0: So one of the things she mentioned, Celeste, and I yeah. know our next guest is going to talk about this because that was an astounding number. I'm so glad she used it. We're going to ask our next guest, Ravine uh, uh, blow about it from the uh, from the city, the online outlet was the number of officers who are calling out sick every day. Wow. Yeah. And when I first I mean, saw that number, I was like, it must have been a typo, but it is not 2000. That That is amazing. And it's
1: something, you know, and again, you know, as I when I said to uh, Senator Ramos that I wish we had more time to talk to her about it, I meant it. That's not just a a brush offline. I hope we can get to this with other guests, because one of the things that we were looking at is the fact that they're now talking about private security and, you know, the idea of privatizing prisons in this country uh and bringing those uh, out of the public sector has been extremely contentious and i think with with a legitimate reason there's a, there's a lot of concerns there too jeff i hope we get to that and so, I know we've got our next guest on the line. Yeah, we do. Well, I'm very, oh, we have him already. Oh, great. Well, this is somebody, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that because this is somebody that I've actually known for a long time whose work I really admire and respect. I worked with him at the New York Daily News. He's also worked at the New York Post and the chief leader, but now he is a senior reporter uh, at the investigative, you know, fairly new media outlet, the city, that is uh, Ruvain Blau. He is a, a native of Denver. I'm not going to hold that against him on this program, but he has been doing some of what I think is the most outstanding, outstanding reporting on conditions at Rikers Island, staff shortages, management issues, and a lot more. In fact, according to his bio, and we'll ask him about this, I think he's working on an oral history of Rikers Island right now. So, Ruvain Blau, welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI. I'm really glad to hear your voice. Thanks.
3: Thanks for having me on, Celeste. And it's, yeah, it's great to hear from you, too. It's really fun memories of working together
1: at the Daily News. So tell us, well, first of all, for, for people who are, are just catching up right now, you know, what have you written most recently about Rikers Island? What is what is really capturing your focus right now?
3: I mean, there's just been so much going on. It's almost a never ending kind of daily drumbeat of awful. Uh, you know, the most recent one was the 11th person who passed away. And, and actually, since then, there's been a 12th person who's passed away in custody. You know, was somebody who was on parole, it was in for a parole violation who had not committed a new crime who would have technically been eligible for the, you know, under the is More Act, that the, the new legislation that was signed by the new governor. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really go into effect until 2022. And he actually wasn't, she also had ordered up the release of, uh, sort of, you know, technically of the release of 191 uh, detainees through the parole board. And, you know, he wasn't technically eligible for that because he hadn't been in in um, locked up for more than 30 days. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the most recent. You know, we did, I did a, a piece together with, George Joseph uh, at WNYC, we did a collaboration that highlighted, you know, this just massive increase in uh, self-harm since uh, the pandemic. And, you know, we kind of really looked into why that's been happening and, you know, what people say needs to be done to kind of change that, that pattern
1: so one thing we just we just spoke to uh state senator jessica ramos about this about you know who should bear responsibility i guess in you know in the immediate sense of stopping the the violence and the deaths associated with rikers island a lot of people have some sort of role to play in this but uh, do you see anybody as being particularly on the hot seat right now as to to addressing these problems
3: yeah, I mean that's a great question. You know, you mentioned the book. Like, I'm, I'm actually doing the, We actually just uh, submitted it to the editors, and um, I'm doing it with uh, a former colleague of mine, Graham Raymond, at the Daily News. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one of the interviews, it actually the story kind of sticks out. You know, when you ask that question, we, I talked to. We, I interviewed somebody who uh, she she took a job, kind of working in, in PR for the department. And when she got the job, she she banked, I think it was like Hank Shenkov who she bumped into at a party, and he said you know, congratulations, you know, you'll never make the place any better. You know, it's, all, it's always going to be terrible. And, you know, when she left, she felt, you know, that he actually, you know, was right, you know, that it that it wasn't, you know, she wasn't able to make a change. You know, so when you ask about, like, who who's to blame, uh, you know, when it comes to Rikers Island, it, it just, there's so many places and so many, you know, where he has to point the finger. The mayor recently, you know, kind of took the sort of radical step of trying to sue the union and clearly kind of putting some blame there. Uh, I, I think you look at least in the immediate, um, you know, the immediate history, you have to look at, you know, when de Blasio got elected, he came in and he you know, he said he's going to change it. He said he's going to address it. You know, he very specifically kind of talked about it quite a bit in you know, a press conference there when they announced a new uh, area, kind of an alternative for solitary confinement. And, you know, ever since then, it, it's been, you know, he didn't necessarily, you know, you know, name the somebody who can kind of clearly handle the 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 department, he had, you know, he promoted somebody uh, who was from Maine and then that person kind of, you know, Joseph Pont. And when he left, his deputy took over. Um, there's a lot of really good feelings about the new commissioner, uh, Vincent Giraldi, who is, you know, advocates have has long kind of, you know, championed his work. And he's, you know, really kind of seen as, as somebody who has a lot of ideas. Um, you know, but we're talking about the end of the administration, you know, we're just, you know, a few months left of the de Blasio administration. And you know, it's extremely limited on what you can do and how you can change things at this point. So, you know, I'd really, you know, say that the mayor is, you know, kind of really the person who, you know, like many things in the city who, you know, kind of takes the, you know, the buck kind of stops there.
0: And, Ruvane, this is Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have to say, in following your coverage and all of the coverage over these past two weeks, the impression I've been left with is that the mayor was clearly not as involved as he should have been. And maybe it's, you know, were well, what what do they say? It was the summer of Bill. He was out having fun. But you know what? All these serious issues Were happening, and it took the the visit by those legislators last week to basically, you know, to throw this right into the headlines. You know, was that your impression that up until that point that things were just not getting done?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think you know it's an interesting point. You know, I I I personally kind of have that sort of very similar feeling, and I've talked about it with some other commissioners. You know, for the book and just in other coverage, and you know, somebody once kind of said to me, like, you know, he actually thinks that the mayor initially, you know, paid too much attention to it. You know, it's not, an, it's not an issue that someone typically runs on. It's not really, you know, talked about very much, which, I you know, I think does lead to some of these problems. Um, but politically speaking, like, you know, I think people, the commissioners, at least former commissioners, you know, that really the best way to get some of these changes done is, is to kind of, you know, kind of quietly enact them and let sort of, you know, the people who know what they're doing, you know, handle it. Um, but definitely, I mean, I think there's a huge contrast. This, this summer of Bill, you know, I, 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 am just kind of almost speechless when I hear it. I cringe, um, you know, talk about the summer bill. people who are, you know, in Rikers Island without heat, you know, it's 90 degrees. You know, we talk about climate change and the conversation really apply to people, you know, who are there and, and don't have AC. I mean, it's, it's really, they don't have a cooling center to go to either. Um, you know, it, it doesn't apply to people when, you know, one of the last things that was lifted here in New York City was, was the visit restriction for for um, people behind bars. And it's still under, like, really, really strict rules. It's only two days a week. You have to sign up ahead of time. And I've, I've heard from people who, who are rejected for, you know, unknown reasons. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's a really, it's a huge contrast. I mean, it's one issue of many, I think, that, you know, kind of doesn't get attention, um, you know, as opposed to sort of the feel-good, let me go dance, let me go to the Met Gala, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that, you know, he really hasn't focused in. I mean, I asked him, I think maybe six, six eight months ago, when was the last time he was there? You know, he, when he ran for president, he, he went, I think it was like the Texas border. He went to, uh, you know, the detention center, um, you know, for, on, and, you know, kind of decried the, the conditions there. And, you know, he's, at least according to him, he couldn't remember when he, when he went. He said, oh, you know, I'll get back to you. My staff will get back to you. And, you know, when I did circle back with him, he never responded. I think actually, technically, I think the last time he was there was, was his last term. Like he hasn't even been there. And and again, I don't necessarily think the mayor has to be on Rikers Island for things to work well and and reforms to happen. But I do think it's symbolic, you know, and I do think think it sends a message to staff that's there, to the people working there and to the people that are there, that the mayor cares. You know, the mayor's looking out and, and trying to do the right thing by everyone there.
1: And Ruvane, I want to ask you about something that we also had mentioned a little bit earlier, but I'm I'm sure you know quite a bit about, which is the whole issue with absences by uh, correctional officers and just the idea of a thousand people just not showing up. Uh, You know, I'm not sure how a prison is supposed to run, even uh, if it functions better than Rikers Island does on, on the average day. Tell us a little bit more about what's going on with those absences and what anybody's trying to do about that?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's actually close to 2000 people a day, actually at this point um, who are out sick or with injuries, you know, they have a unique situation uh, where they have something called unlimited sick where they can call out um, and they don't necessarily have like a clock, you know, like, you know, you or I likely in the private sector have, you know, whatever it is a week, two weeks, three weeks, you know, if necessary, Um, you know, and then there's some, you know, kind of other things you got to do, you know, with, with officers, it's different. You know, they can call out whenever they want, essentially, as long as they kind of prove it, you know, and, but because the system got just so, so overwhelmed, they actually do have a pretty tough system in place where they can send uh, a staff to your house to like literally make sure that you're, if you're out sick, you got to be home. And if you're not, uh-huh. you can get into a lot of trouble, but it just got so overwhelmed. Like the system was so just overwhelmed by people calling out that like, it just, it was kind of meaningless. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a big problem. You, you talk about where the blame lies, you know, uh, I think, you know, clearly the commissioner saying, the new commissioner saying, I can't get anything done unless people show up. Uh, you know, he has a lot of plans as far as like, you know, in, in enacting new programming and a bunch of other things he wants to kind of do to sort of change the you know, kind of culture dynamic. Um, but again, it's it's really difficult unless you have that. I mean, everything from literally, I do, you know, I have a story about how the court appearances, you know, people are the number of people showing up. Uh, you know, missing court dates are, is has gone way up. Uh, even though, like in, at least in one day, you know, in the, in the in Queens that we got stats for, you know, the city continues to sort of refuse to share those the broader statistics with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but and if, and everything from medical visits as well. Like they have a system in place on Rikers where you have to be escorted to the clinic by another officer, and if there's not another officer there, you're not going to the clinic. And and then you know it's just sort of domino effect of just really just basic things like. You know, food and medical care is just completely halted. Um, you know I think that's you know it's it's really, really bad i mean it's 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 kind of it seems like almost like the worst it's been since I've been you know covering this for the last close to twenty years.
1: Wow. So you're listening to Driving Forces here with Jeff Simmons and me, Celeste Katz-Marston, here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Our guest right now is Ruvain Blau. He is a reporter with the investigative outlet The City. And uh, as you just mentioned, Ruvain, you've been covering this for 20 years. You have a very wide view. Uh, I mean, why is it? Is it sort of a perfect storm right now? Is it because of the pandemic? Is it labor issues? Why are things getting so bad right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's multifaceted. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of this is catching up from COVID. You know, there was for you know over a year, visits were canceled, program was canceled. Uh, you know, and it's very it's a terrible place to be under normal circumstances. A commentary was limited and canceled in many cases. When you don't, you know, it's a barbershop, you know, at just basic, basic things. When you don't have that, you know, it just, it makes it really, really difficult, uh, you know, to be there. And it, I think there's just a lot of just pent up sort of, you know, issues that are, have kind of now flowing in. Um, and I also think that, you know, the officers feel very, very much neglected. They feel like the city doesn't care about them and they feel that, uh, you know, it's a difficult place to work. It's more challenging than ever work because there's video cameras everywhere. And they feel that, like, in the past, there were incidents that might have been handled, you know, in a physical way. They're being second-guessed when they have force. Um, You know, and and using force is is kind of a unique, you know, an interesting idea, and it's complicated. Um, But there is, you know, they're they're really trying drastically to kind of reduce the number of those incidents and to really kind of de-escalate. You know, but some jail experts say, hey, look, you know, there are times where you need to kind of go in and break up a fight, and that's a, a good use of force. And, you know, even that's sort of not happening. So this sort of leads to more violence. Um, you know, it's really it's, it's hard to kind of say, like, exactly why. I, I also think that a big reason is, is that, you know, the commissioner, you know, the last two commissioners, you know, have really kind of made bad decisions. And they're sort of now kind of dealing with that, uh, you know, over time. Uh, you know, they're both commissioners who weren't from New York City, who really did not seem to have a, you a know, strong grip on what needed to be done. There was a lot of focus on 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 paring back the use of solitary um, and coasting and not necessarily like investing, you know, and and it just, it, I think it just all kind of has come together.
1: Ruvena, I wish we had more time to talk about your reporting on this issue. That's not just the throwaway line. I I genuinely think you are one of the, the greatest reporters covering this and have been for, for many years. So where can people find out more about your daily work and then about your, your big project, the oral history, where can people find out more about that?
3: So, so I'm totally flattered. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, I daily you know, the city, the city that NYC, it's hosted by New York magazine, the website, um, or you can go just kind of directly to the city that NYC. Um, and as far as the book goes, we just submitted it a couple weeks ago. And hopefully, uh, you know, that process is I, I, from what everyone's told me is a bit of a time consuming process. Um, you know, but we're hoping in the next few months, uh, you know, something, you know, something more to share on that
4: front.
1: Well, we will definitely have to have you back to talk about that when it's out. And I'll look forward to uh, to seeing it myself. So, Ruvane Blau of the City, thank you so much for joining uh, Jeff Simmons and me here on Driving Force. It's really, really a pleasure to hear from you.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: And as he was speaking, Celeste, I, of course, I'm thinking of another show we have to do to have him and Graham on and have excerpts from the book because, I mean, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, seriously,
1: I can't, cannot say enough about this guy. Ruvein Blau, somebody I worked with personally, but even if I hadn't, and even when I didn't, somebody who's reporting on this, I really admire, not only because he, you know, has a great way of looking at this, but you have to be incredible. Incredibly, incredibly tenacious to cover prisons in general and to cover Rikers Island in particular, because he just sort of flicked at this a little bit. But I think it's worth repeating that the fight that you have to put up to get even basic, basic information about how any prison and about how this prison functions is just staggering. It is a very tough job. And people like Ruvain and other reporters who are very serious about covering the prison system, covering incarceration, and specifically covering Rikers are willing to do that work. And I, I think we do owe them a debt of gratitude.
0: And the one thing I don't want to get lost in all of this are the stories of the individuals who are most impacted, the people who are incarcerated. I was reading one earlier today, Celeste, about I was in Gay City News about a, a man who had passed away who had uh, been denied care. You know, you think about the conditions that people are living in, you you then wonder, well what's the solution? How do we sanction but do so humanely? So, let's with that. Let's get to our final guest of today, Donna Hilton. She's an activist and author who advocates for the rights and well-being of women and girls who've been impacted by intersectional trauma such as incarceration as well as violent and sexual abuse and assault domestic violence and police brutality she's an outspoken proponent of the need to incorporate harm reduction into our policies for addressing societal and justice issues within a humane framework her advocacy includes contributing the legislation that seeks to reverse injustice and improve the lives of impacted people such as the newly enacted new york state less is more bill uh, close rikers campaign she's a leading voice in the bail reform movement. She was incarcerated at age 20 for 27 years, which is documented in her 2018 memoir, A Little Piece of Light, A Memoir of Hope, Prison, and a Life Unbound. With that, Donna Hilton, welcome to WBAI.
4: Good evening. Thank you for having me.
0: I I have to ask the the question that, you know, has just been troubling me for the last two weeks about, you know, it took legislators visiting Rikers to come out and really put this in the front of the news and say, this is what we saw. This was a wake-up call. Are you surprised that that's what it took, that visit to Rikers to serve as this wake-up call?
4: Unfortunately, I'm not surprised by anything that our any, any of our politicians or government officials do. But what I, I will say, I think um, to give um, the governor some credit, Governor Hochul some credit, I think that, it, you know, it was brought to her attention, Less there's more legislation, as well as others. members. she had a te- uh, press conference not too long ago. She said she had over 400 um, pieces of legislation on her desk. And I think this was being pushed to her because, you know, um, uh, Rikers Island in itself has been an inhumane and cruel uh, situation. And so this was coming more and more uh, to the forefront and to her attention, uh, especially by those of us. But I do believe that if we did not, if, if the island was not visited by these, um, legislators, um, these you know, our elected that it probably would have been a little slower to come. Unfortunately though, unfortunately though, it did take this to happen in this time. And I just want to say in this moment that, you know, I want to recognize, acknowledge, and just like, you know, give like, a. a a You know, those that have been harmed and the families of those that have died, the 12 uh, human beings that died on the island. I just want to give them this moment to honor them and just give them my, you know, my deepest, deepest, deepest sympathies and condolences. We're fighting. We're fighting so none of this will stop.
1: So Donna, and thank you for joining us here on the program. We always appreciate your, your input on this issue and, and others. But, you know, for you come at this from a, a pretty unique and difficult perspective, uh, you know, having experienced the system in a different way than, you know, probably most of the people listening to this program. You know, what can you tell us to sort of paint a picture of what people don't realize about what uh, incarceration is life. What you know, like what people are are dealing with um, inside one of these facilities.
4: So, thanks for that, Celeste. I appreciate that question, and it's so true. Unfortunately, you know, I I um I was put on the island uh, as an adolescent, and you know, I've never had any involvement with the criminal legal system at all. Never had any issues um, outside of when I needed help myself. Um, you know, so I didn't understand it. You know, when I went on the island, it was the most, one of the most violent places that I could, um, if I could imagine that, you know, and that was 36 years ago. And, you know, it started shaping my understanding of the system and who the system incarcerates and why. It started young, right, really early. And, you know, it was not a good experience. People, you know, we always hear people, you know basically shout back at us. Oh, well, if you didn't, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, but that, you know, that, that really is just a poor excuse um, for us as human beings, because just because let's say a person does commit a crime and just commits a, li- a really uh, a heinous crime, you know, a bad, uh violent crime, do we treat people in that way? It, it, it just, it's, it's oxymoronic to say like, Oh, our, our, justice system, justice should be fair and equitable. To treat people in a way in which they recognize their humanity so that they can recognize new humanity and others, and so they will stop a behavior that is uh, that is abnormal. there is no way we can expect people to change behavior and be normal and be productive law-abiding citizens if we can tr- continue to treat people um, less than or more cruelly than we would um, our animals our pets our family our furry family friends you know what i mean and so You know, I always like to respond back in that way because you hear this, you know, punishment, 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 punishment. But it is so bitter and it's so it's just so it's so harsh and it's just so cruel, the intent. I mean, what does punishment look like for people? What is that supposed to be? And what does that say about you? If you want to create you have a system that's designed in this way to cause, I mean, cruel, cruel, intensely cruel punishment. And regardless of guilt or innocence, and regardless of someone has, themselves has, has um, committed such a, a cruel, heinous crime, like it just makes no sense. And we seem to be dogs chasing our tails over and over and over again. We, 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 we're looking for different results, but we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. We're talking about the system works. Obviously, the system doesn't work. We've been doing this now for decades upon decades. So no one can no one can say the system is working. None of the things that they've implemented have worked. And so we, those of us with the lived experiences, you know, who, who directly impacted are saying this does not work. Let us help you understand what would work. Listen so- to us.
1: So let me, let me ask that exact question here so we can share that with our listeners. And if you're just joining us, we're speaking to Donna Hilton. She's an activist and an author, uh, about the situation at Rikers Island, but also about incarceration generally. And you know what, Donna, I was just thinking, uh, as you were speaking, I thought to myself, you know, with a lot of the political or social problems, uh, that we have in this country, sometimes people try to, you know, look away from them or deny them and they say, you know what, that's, just, that's not, that's not really happening. That's not who mm-hmm. we are. Well, I think we've been talking about Rikers Island and people like Ruvain Blau and other reporters have been writing about Rikers Island mm-hmm. for long enough. You know, maybe this is who we are. Maybe this is this is not something that we can deny. So let me ask you very broadly, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to change it? I don't think that anybody is arguing or I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe there are people who are arguing that we can live in a society that has zero incarceration, that prisons should cease to exist, Mm -hmm. that we should have no criminal justice system. But what's it going to take? How many more people need to die at Rikers Island uh, to change this? Mm
4: You know, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's a really interesting question, and, and I think we really have to go inward for that. I'm just leaving Rikers Island now. We had a counter-protest. Uh, we have some law, uh, Republican lawmakers that showed up to, um, you know, spread um, negative, false rhetoric about our less is more bill that will release people off the island who have not committed any type of crime. A violation is not a crime. If you, are I mean, you, a uh, regular Jane John Doe citizen who would have um, had a drink after work or missed, you know, made didn't make it home because the subway, you know, was backed up or you know transit's messed up or whatever or didn't make a meeting would not be going to prison and wasting taxpayers' money, um, for you know for those minor missteps. So you know we 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 had a counter protest because oh wow, the 12th person died. Right, you know, this weekend, you know, and uh, it it just, it boggles the mind how people could just spew such lies and fear mongering to get people afraid to continue to, um, to basically, you know, swarm a system that they know doesn't work. Like we know it doesn't work and it's all based on this punishment and this cruel and vindictive and bitter, um, um, mentality, you know, and it's like it's become their theology where the only way we're going to get things safe and people okay. I mean, whatever their rhetoric is, is to lock people up and to treat them cruelly. We're going to treat them less than we treat, you know, insects or, or, or animals. And we're just going to be cool, you know. But we have to look at how this country, you know, came to be America. It didn't come in such a nice and noble way. It was, harm was created. You came, they came in and they slaughtered the indigenous folks of this land to take it all because of greed and not trying to go into a a place and say, let me learn about the people. Let's see how we can work together. And this is the same way with the carceral system. We're talking about a system that's filled with black and brown folks, poor folks, even poor white folks, Right. But you're not going into these communities, these areas where people are, are are suffering. I spent 27 years, and I came out into New York, and I'm looking at certain um, neighborhoods, and I'm looking at them, and they're black and the black and brown. A lot of the black and brown neighborhoods are still lacking. The resources there are so lacking. I go into other neighborhoods now that are predominantly white, and they were not good in 1985. But now they're like, they have galleries, they have all kinds of, 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 of spaces and uh, 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 areas for um, recreation and lights and the parks are beautiful and everything is so nice. Why can't it be the same, All you know, for everyone? Why can't the school system be the same for all our children? Why so can't Donna? we have oh, children Donna. that, don't, you know, not hungry at night? Go ahead. I'm sorry. So-
0: Oh, that's okay. I know we only have a few minutes left, and I you know, know we talked. You, you talked. Oh, oh, you talked about the governor in the very beginning. I wanted to make sure we get yeah. back to that because with a new governor yeah. and with a new mayor uh, taking office in January of 2022 here, mm. uh, but uh, a mayor, an expected mayor, who uh, has a background in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just curious about that. Ro- the path ahead. Are you worried that? Even if we're seeing much more of a progressive uh, state legislature and we're expecting a much more progressive New York City Council, are you expecting that – are you worried that we're not going to see reforms take place? That the conditions that you've been aware of and that the public is now aware of in the last two weeks, if they had not been before, that these are just going to continue?
4: Well, I'm not so much worried. I am concerned, though. I'll always be concerned. I'm concerned, and I'm looking to have conversations with some of our intended, uh, uh, you know, uh, legislators and, 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 and leaders. You know, I'm looking to see if we can have conversations with whoever the mayor may be. We know right now it looks like Eric Adams will be the mayor, but who knows, right? We never know what tomorrow brings. And I'll brag for <clears throat> Manhattan DA and others. Um, I'm lo- You know, we're looking, those of us are looking to have conversations because, again, you know, you can't talk about reform and, and also uh, uh, flooding communities with more police and think that that's going to be okay. Just like the response to Rikers Island right now, Mayor de Blasio is sending police officers in because correctional officers have called out and not going into work. That's antithetical to the whole thing. We're talking about police officers who are already, you know, been abusive and and, and harmful to black and brown communities. And you're putting sending them into a place to basically be overseers of people who are just detained. You know, we're really concerned about that. So we have to try to have conversations. I feel feel like the more we have conversations with each other and not at each other. Right. We'll be able to find some immediate solution. They might not be perfect because nothing's perfect, but we can find some solutions. They need to listen to us when we say what's wrong and what's been wrong and how we can do things right now in the immediate to make sure people are in humane condition, whether they're in, in detention centers, in the jails, in the prisons or not, and especially in the community. We have to have those conversations. And so I am concerned about whomever the mayor is going to be because we do have to shut Rikers Island down. It is the most cruel and inhumane detention center we have left in this country. And we have to recognize that, especially with these 12 deaths. And God forbid we have any more.
1: Donna, if people want to find out more about your work and, uh, on this issue, and specifically on Rikers Island, where can they look? Where can they find out more?
4: Well, um, we are located, our main office is in Brooklyn, 356 Marcus Garvey uh, in Brooklyn, New York. We are on social media. I'm on social media, Donna Hilton, DonnaHilton.com. I have a website, my um, organization, a little piece of light, a little piece of light.net. You can find us. You can find us. We're not we're not um, hiding and uh, we're out there.
1: Donna Hilton, thank you so much for joining Jeff Simmons and myself here today on Driving Forces. Really
0: appreciate your insight. Thanks a lot.
4: Thank you for having me. Be safe. Be well.
0: So Celeste, I'm very, very glad that uh we focus on this topic. I want to give you credit for, we wanted to do this a few weeks ago, but each week when we start out with the topic, there's something that's breaking in the news often that will move us elsewhere. So I'm glad we came back to this and it's not going to be the last time. I think this is an important thing. And on a future episode of Driving Forces, I would love to open up the phone lines and have listeners call in because I want to know. What their thoughts are about the future of Rikers and also about other criminal justice reforms. We will have to end the show in about another minute or so. Um, Celeste, did you want to mention first what might be coming up on WBAI this evening? Yeah, we have uh, a lot of uh, programs coming up. You should check them out. Of course, the news
1: is up next with Paul Durienzo. We have Real World at 630, Radio GBE at 7 o'clock, Education at the Crossroads, 8 o'clock, Backstage Stories at 9 p.m. That's going to feature a conversation with actor and educator Forrest McClendon,
0: and then the Harlem, uh, the Harlem Connection coming up at 10 p.m., Jeff. And I want to thank our guests today, New York State Senator Jessica Ramos, Ruvain Blau, senior reporter at the city and former colleague of the one and only Celeste Katz-Marston, and advocate and author Donna Hilton. And stepping in today, drumroll, our amazing and terrific engineer Max Schmied. Thank you so much, Max, for making this happen today while Reggie is off. I want to thank all of our listeners today. We will be back next week. Um, driving forces. will be back next week, Thursday at five o'clock. So make sure to tune in. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And as Celeste loves to say, see you on the radio.